if these kids are sick enough to go to the hospital, um, they're oftentimes going to need uh, nasal cannula support for hypoxia. Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the February 12th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objectives are discuss symptoms and patient presentation of the acutely ill pediatric patient with COVID-19 and discuss management of the acutely ill pediatric patient with COVID-19. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. And with us today we have Erin Berry, a nurse at Johns Hopkins Lifeline Critical Care Transport. Welcome back Erin, thank you for your time. Great, great. Thank you everyone for having me back. Um, today, I wanted to talk a little bit about COVID-19 in the pediatric patient and kind of do an overview of not only statistics, but patient presentation, patient management. And then after that, I would like to talk a little bit about the MISC that we're seeing in the pediatric COVID patients. So first we'll just start off with a few statistics about pediatric COVID. Now, all of these statistics that I have here are from January 14th. Most of these numbers are from the American Association of Pediatrics. So they're pretty up to date. We have a total of about 2.5 million cases in the US of pediatric COVID but that only makes up about 12.6% of cases. So um, obviously the majority of the patients that we're seeing are adults. One of the things that is specific to the, um, the pediatric population is they're seeing that the most common source of exposure is from a family member. And obviously just like with the adult patients, they're seeing um, an increased risk with underlying conditions of not only contracting COVID-19, but also in the severity and the disease process. So it's so far, it's been a much less severe illness than we're seeing in the adults. We're only making up for pediatric patients 0.2 to 2.8% of hospital admissions. And of that, like 0.2 to 2.8, only 3.3% of the pediatric patients are winding up in the ICU and extremely low mortality of 0.07 um, of all the total COVID deaths for the country. So the presentation in the pediatric COVID patient, the most common symptom that uh, we're seeing in these kids is they're coming in with a fever and then some respiratory signs and symptoms. The most common sign in the pediatric patient is a cough. So you're seeing these patients come in with coughs and fevers. In addition to the cough, you might have some nasal condition or dyspnea. And then it, um, in some of the cases, like the adults, you're just seeing GI signs and symptoms. So you're seeing nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, 
abdominal pain, loss of appetite. And then in a few cases, you're seeing um, a little bit of headache and fatigue. But again, with the pediatric patient, it's mostly fever and cough. And then um, if they're symptomatic at all, there's a large number of the pediatric patients that are COVID positive that are completely asymptomatic. So with these kiddos, the radiological and lab findings that we're seeing with them. So on their chest x-ray, if you're seeing anything at all, a lot of these kids um, are having completely asymptomatic imaging. You're seeing kind of um, a little bit of patchy lesions on their chest x-rays. And then when you go to do the chest CT, you're seeing a lot of the same things that you're seeing in the adult patients. When you do see findings, you're seeing the ground glass opacities. So if you look at the, the images here on the slide, um, and it's, it's that hazy kind of appearance is what the ground glass opacity is. Um, if you look at the middle picture, you're going to see something that they're seeing in the pediatric patients that um, has shown up in the literature is called the halo sign. So if you look on the right side of the middle picture, which you see like a little bit of consolidation and then you see the haziness around it. So that's um, like an area of inflammation or area of infection with the, the ground glass opacity, that haziness and the lung around it. And then if you look at the third picture all the way on the right, you're seeing um, what's commonly called is a whiteout of the lung. And that's, that's a much more severe case. So on the left side, you're seeing that whiteout, but then you're seeing kind of that haziness throughout the CT that you're also commonly seeing in the adult patients. So your inflammatory markers are gonna be elevated, um, specifically looking at your D-dimer, your procalcitonin, your CKs, and your interleukin-6. And these are um, also very similar to the adult population. You're seeing these, these pro-inflammatory markers are showing up on their lab work. So how are we managing the pediatric COVID patient? So the biggest thing is gonna be your supportive therapy, um, your respiratory support. If these kids are sick enough to go to the hospital, um, they're oftentimes gonna need uh, nasal cannula support for hypoxia. They may, if it becomes severe enough as the adult patient need uh, high flow nasal cannula, they could need ventilatory support. Um, and again, it's going to be, it's, they're not seeing like the number of critically ill patients, but they, they, some of these kids are needing the respiratory support. And then the fluid and electrolyte support is important for the kiddos, um, especially because they're coming in febrile, so they're having insensible fluid losses. But in the patients that are also having the, um, the GI disturbances, the nausea, the vomiting, the diarrhea, getting um, the fluids replaced and giving them electrolyte support for all the, all the things that they're losing through the illness. Another topic uh, for the management of the peds patient is thromboprophylaxis. So we've all seen the inflammatory process is causing um, coagulation disturbances in these patients. So there's a question of um, who gets thromboprophylaxis, who doesn't get thromboprophylaxis. And in the pediatric patient, they're looking at patients that are high risk for developing clots. So um, anyone that might be obese or might have um, like a pediatric cancer. And then also just the like the severely ill kids, the ones that are going to be immobile, um, looking at doing, you know, putting STDs on these kids, or if you're doing a low molecular weight heparin, so giving them Lovenox shots, um, if for some reason they do have any type of kidney problems and putting them on like a heparin drip to help 
prevent the development of those clots that we're seeing, especially in the kids that are showing up with elevated D-dimers. And then looking at like the medications for the pediatric COVID, um, rindisivir is the only FDA approved treatment, but there are tons of clinical trials that you can enroll these kiddos in. Um, most like the CDC and things are recommending that if you want to try any of those antivirals or immune modulators, you do it through um, a clinical trial. So another thing that you're seeing with these COVID patients is co-infection. It's incredibly common, especially if you um, look at uh, like a viral flu, the most common um, complication is a bacterial pneumonia. So a lot of these patients are coming in and they're having co-infection. So it could be viral or it could be bacterial, it could be influenza. So if there is a suspicion for a co-infection, you know, starting them on broad spectrum antibiotics, getting blood cultures, getting respiratory cultures to try and figure out if there is a co-infection. Um, and if it is does happen to be, if you suspect influenza, making sure that you're treating them for the, the influenza, giving them Tamiflu. And then obviously if things come back negative, you can always withdraw treatment and just continue the supportive therapy for the patient. And then um, glucocorticoids, they are recommending glucocorticoids in the pediatric population for patients with severe illness or critical illness. There's not a ton of studies like there are with adults to help manage this infection. So again, they're trying to, um, the recommendations are to use it for a, a critically ill or a patient with um, very severe illness. Um, so then moving on to the Q&A portion. Are there any special steps that should be taken in pediatric patients for managing mild to moderate COVID at home? Excellent question, because a lot of these kids aren't winding up in the hospital, they're being managed at home. So um, the, one of the most important things that you can do if you do have a child who's at home with mild to moderate symptoms is managing isolation. So keeping them away from um, family members that aren't sick, if you're able to do that in your home, if they're able to have their own bathroom that they're using that other family members aren't using and trying to keep them um, in their own bedroom to keep them separate so they're not infecting family members. And obviously kids do, um, will we'll need help with just about everything. So you are going to be interacting with the child. So if you are not COVID positive and the child is having the child wear a mask, you wear a mask in your room, just trying to prevent that transmission um, and obviously limiting outside visitors. So if you have a positive kiddo at home, you don't want kids coming over for play dates or family members coming over, just trying to prevent that the spread of the illness. Um, another thing is it's going to be really important to monitor these kids because they are at home. Um, if for monitoring for any signs of decompensation. So if they start to have any difficulty breathing or develop severe nausea, vomiting, just um, when they are deteriorating, getting them to the hospital, because although it is a really small number of kids that require the hospitalization or ICU care, we wanna make sure that they um, get the care that they need. Um, and then especially if you do have a kid who had COVID-19 with the mild to moderate symptoms, kind of keeping an eye on them after the, everything resolves for two to four weeks. Um, there's not a ton of MISC kids, but keeping an eye out for anything abnormal like rashes and the, or fevers coming back because then they may need to be evaluated to see if they have developed MISC. 
And then for the mild to moderate symptoms, it's going to be a lot of symptom management. So things that you would do for any sick kid with a respiratory issue or a GI issue, um, making sure they're taking fluids, managing their fever, just keeping them comfortable. Okay, great. Thanks again, Erin. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Erin, thank you again. Good to have you back. Great. Thanks for having me back, guys. It was great. <laughs>